Well, good morning again, and thank you for joining us. Now I want to invite you to take your Bible and open to the letter of James in the New Testament. Today we're in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. If you'll remember, over the last couple of weeks, James has been talking to us about how we can withstand the various trials that we face in life. He wants us to learn how to remain steadfast in our faith. Well, here in James 1, 13 through 18, while James still talks about the tests that we face in life, he transitions from talking about trials to temptation. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the, the subject, the difference between trials and temptations. Here's a key phrase that I want you to remember as we study this morning. God tests us in order to strengthen us and to develop our faith. The enemy tempts us to weaken us and destroy our faith. God tests us to build us up. The enemy tempts us to tear us down. And in James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, James shifts from trials to another type of test that we'll face. That's the temptations that we face in life. Let's begin reading James chapter 1. Begin reading with me in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Remember this morning, the power is in the perfect word of God. Comedian Jack Handy relates a story in his book entitled Fuzzy Memories. He says that when he was younger in elementary school, that every single day there was a bully that would take his lunch money. And every single day, Jack Handy would simply give his lunch money to that bully. One day, Jack decided things were going to be different. So he was going to defend himself. He signed up for karate classes. But then he said karate classes were really expensive and they were really difficult. Every time he had a class, he had to pay the instructor five bucks. In those days, that was a lot of money. So Jack Handy came to the conclusion later on that it was cheaper and easier just to keep giving the bully his lunch money every day. And sadly, that illustrates the way we, sometimes as believers, respond to the trials that we face in life. Sometimes we just think it's quicker and easier to give in. It'd be easier not to withstand or remain steadfast in trials. It'd be easier to give up. But when we do that, we forget that God intends trials and tests to strengthen our faith and develop maturity in our spiritual lives. And so when we give up or give in, we short-circuit God's plan for our spiritual growth. God wants to use the tests of life to grow you to become more like Jesus Christ. And here James shifts from talking about one test, the trials we face, to talking about the temptations that we face in life as well. James wants us to learn the difference between trials and temptations so that we can grow in the midst of these types of tests. 
First of all, James shows us the anatomy of temptation. We see this in verse 13, 14, and 15. One of the keys to winning the battle is understanding your enemy. And so James wants us to understand how the enemy comes against us, how he lures and entices us, and how he tempts us. So he begins by talking about what temptation is and how it develops in our life. First of all, in verse 13, in the beginning of verse 14, James shows us the source of temptation. He shows us the source of temptation. He warns us, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, God will test us, but he will not tempt us. James makes this very clear. God himself is never tempted with evil, and he himself, look at the text, tempts no one. So God's not going to tempt us to do wrong. We need to understand the source of temptation. Warren Wearsby says it like this, a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way outside of the will of God. It's an opportunity for us to accomplish something good in a bad way that's out of God's will. For instance, it's a good desire to make a very good grade in a class or to to make an A on your final exam. That's a good desire. But the wrong way to go about that desire is by cheating or copying someone else's paper. That's temptation. And so Warren Wearsby reminds us that we need to stand firm against temptation and not give in to try to accomplish something good in a bad way. James helps us identify the source of temptation. Don't you dare blame God. It's not God's fault. In fact, James says that temptation comes from within our own lives, our flesh, our worldly desires. You see, we face three enemies in this life. The Bible tells us we face the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of these come against us to tempt us to lead us down the wrong path. Each one of these enemies can lead to our downfall. That's the source of temptation. Next, James wants us to notice the sequence of temptation. And this is where it gets very interesting. He reveals something very significant about temptation. So that when we understand temptation, we can overcome temptation. Look at what he says in verse 14 and verse 15. Each one is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Now, I want you to notice four words right here as we we kind of learn about the anatomy of temptation. And we see a sequence here in verse 14 and 15. Four words. First of all, the word desire. Then the word deception. Then the word disobedience. And then the word death. We see it right here in the text. We're we're lured and enticed by our own desires. So we have this temptation, this desire. And desire, then we're deceived. He warns us in verse 16, don't be deceived. So desire leads to deception. Deception then leads to disobedience. And the Bible says disobedience then leads to death. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. I want you to notice an interesting word. Circle this word in your Bible. Verse 14, we're tempted when we're lured and enticed. That word enticed is very interesting. The word is a a picture in the Greek language. It gives the idea of a fisherman who puts a worm on a hook. Now, why would a fisherman put a worm on a hook? Two reasons. First of all, to disguise the hook. And then 
to entice or to lure the fish. This is what the enemy does to us. The hook is not the temptation. The worm is the temptation. The enemy does his best to hide the hook. He does his best to hide the danger. In other words, he makes sin attractive so that when we're deceived, we walk down the road of disobedience. And the Bible says then that leads to death. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. We're given some wise counsel and advice. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. James begins to reveal to us the anatomy of temptation and that ultimately when sin is fully grown, it brings about death and destruction in our lives. And so one of the ways we need to learn to grow is to understand the anatomy of temptation. Now, I can remember a little bit from my classes in high school, but if I'm honest, I don't remember a whole lot. I loved math. I took a lot of math in high school. In fact, one year, I took two math classes so I could take calculus, and I did really well in calculus in high school and in college, but I haven't used calculus since I graduated college, really my first year of college, never used it in seminary. I don't use calculus pastoring or serving in ministry. I haven't used the quadratic equation or any of these other things. Now, some of you might use that every single day, and if you do, that's great. I don't use that anymore. I don't remember that. But for whatever reason... One of the things that I remember most are some lessons that I learned in my junior year in anatomy and physiology. I can still name most all of the human bones. Maybe not all, but most all of the human bones. I also remember that humans, adults, have 206 bones, but when we're born, we have 270 bones. Did you know that? Some of these bones fuse together as you grow older, but some bones appear like you don't have kneecaps. Brand new babies don't have kneecaps. Those bones develop later. I can also remember a phrase that I had to make sure I repeated word for word on the final exam. The anatomy teacher used the phrase, left sternal border, fifth intercostal space. This is where my teacher said you could find the apex of the human heart at the left border of the sternum, fifth intercostal space. I don't know why that's important, and I don't know how it applies today. I just remember studying anatomy and physiology. And and so a lot of times when we study these things, we ask, why do I need to know this? Why study anatomy and physiology? Because studying the human body helps us learn more so that we can diagnose problems, evaluate the situation, and then treat human beings effectively. So why would James want us to understand the anatomy of temptation? Why? So that we can evaluate temptation, so that we can diagnose the problems, and so that we can then win the victory over sin in our lives. The more information we have when it comes to temptation and the ways of our enemy, the more possible it is for us to experience the victory. So number one, the anatomy of temptation. Number two, James gives us the answer for temptation. We see this in verses 16 through 18. James wants us to learn about the enemies that we face in this life. But he also wants us to know where does temptation come from. Look at what he says in verse 16 and 17. He tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And so when we encounter temptation, James wants to make it clear 
Temptation does not come from God. Every good thing in your life that you have comes from God. And so if we're going to receive the answer for temptation, we have to look to the Lord who gives us the ability to overcome temptation. And here, James gives us a pathway, verse 16, 17, and 18, a pathway to help us overcome the temptations that we face in life. And first of all, he tells us that we need to be careful to avoid deception. Look what he says here in verse 16. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. In other words, when it comes to understanding temptation, don't fall into the trap of deception, but understand God's perspective regarding the temptation that we face. Don't be deceived when it comes to the nature of sin or the nature of temptation or the strategy of our enemy. So we need, to, we need to be careful that we're not led down the wrong path when we seek to understand deception and temptation. John MacArthur says it like this. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming your circumstances. Stop blaming Satan. And above all, stop blaming God. Because James makes it clear that God is not the source of our temptation. And the number one source of our temptation lies within us. And so stop your rationalization and your making excuses for being deceived or being led down the wrong path. Understand that every good thing comes from God and avoid deception. Secondly, be mindful of your position. We see this in verse 17. So if we're going to take steps to overcome temptation, to have the answer that we need in the day of temptation. We need to be careful to avoid deception. We need to know the truth. And we need to be mindful of our position. You know what the Bible tells us here? We are children of God. And every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We see that in verse 17. And so I want you to get the picture in your mind. When you remember your position, your heavenly inheritance in Christ, who you are as a follower of Jesus, that you've been adopted into the family of God, that you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light, when you've been freed from the domain of darkness and the chains of sin, and you've been set free to be a part of the kingdom of God, you are now a child of God, and God gives you everything you need to face and defeat the enemy. God gives you those good gifts that you need to overcome. Notice, notice the name that James uses to refer to God. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Do you see that name? It's not, very, it's not used very often. It's probably not very familiar to us. But the ancient Jews used that title to refer to God as the creator of light. That God is the creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars. What James is saying here is that sun, moon, and stars, no, no matter how magnificent they are, there will be a day when they will fade away and turn dark. But he says about the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation nor shadow due to change. And so while all of these other lights will eventually fade away and turn dark, God is the eternal Father of lights, and in Him is no change, there's no variation, and there's no shadow. We can fully and completely trust in Him. He's the Father of lights. 
And James tells us in verse 18. So if we're going to be careful to avoid deception, be mindful of our position, then we need to be grateful for our redemption. Be grateful for your redemption. We see this in verse 18. James concludes this passage by reminding us that our redemption is in Christ. I want you to notice what James is doing. First, he gives us a negative reason to avoid temptation. And then he gives us a positive reason to avoid temptation. He gives us the negative reason. Negatively, sin leads to death. Negative consequences. Then he gives us a positive reason. Positively, God is good and he will show you grace and he will give you good gifts and he never changes. You are his child. So we avoid negative consequences and we receive good gifts as we resist temptation. And here in verse 18, James reminds us that we can avoid temptation, we can avoid destruction, we can avoid deception as we follow the Lord. Look at what he says as we read verse 18. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. What's he talking about? What does he mean when he says that? He's talking about your salvation. He's talking about redemption. He's talking about that moment in your life when you repented of your sins and you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's talking about when you were saved and now you know that you're a child of God. That's what he means when he talks about how he brought us forth through the word of truth. That, that gives the idea of the new birth. That's what he means when he's talking about the first fruits of his creatures so that we receive the blessing of salvation. We are children of God. One of the greatest weapons that we have in overcoming temptation is remembering what Christ has done for us on the cross. Remember your redemption. And you can overcome temptation and deception. Well, in history of American con artists, George C. Parker holds a special place of dishonor. George C. Parker was remembered as one of the most successful swindlers in American history. He was incredibly daring. He set up a, a very nice office in New York City. And he would invite foreign investors, maybe people coming from out of state, maybe people coming from, from out of country. And so he would sell New York's most famous attractions. Do you know what George C. Parker sold his unwitting accomplices? He sold the Brooklyn Bridge multiple times. He sold Madison Square Garden. He sold Grant's tomb. He also sold... The Statue of Liberty. That's right. He'd invite you into his office and then he'd begin to sell you. And everything was so impressive. He had documentation. I mean, these people bought everything. Hook, line, and sinker. They were deceived. It got so serious that on three different occasions, police had to go to the Brooklyn Bridge and, and tell people, you have no right to set up a toll booth on the Brooklyn Bridge. You do not own the Brooklyn Bridge. That's how good George C. Parker was at swindling people, at conning people. He had forged documents. He had deeds to convince them. He was a con artist of the highest order. It wasn't until he was convicted for his third time of fraud that George Parker was sent 
to prison. He spent the last eight years of his life in prison, in Sing Sing Prison in New York. He made a fortune off deceiving people. He made a fortune off of selling something he didn't even have. I want you to know this morning that the enemy is always out there selling something that's too good to be true. Don't buy it. You want to talk about a con artist? You want to talk about a swindler? The world promises, our flesh promises, Satan promises that sin leads to pleasure, that sin leads to joy, that sin leads to happiness and lasting fulfillment. Don't buy it. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Resist the devil. He will flee from you and believe that every good gift comes from God. He even gives you the gift to overcome temptation in this life. And so what's the difference between the trials and temptations that we face? Here's the key thought that I want you to remember. God tests us to strengthen us and build us up. The enemy tempts us to weaken us and tear us down. So if God is allowing you to go through tests, he's right there beside you and he'll give you the good gifts you need to overcome temptation and to walk faithfully with him. Don't buy what the enemy is selling. Resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. Walk faithfully with Jesus and live in the light of his grace. If you're here this morning and there's never been a time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you to respond today. I've talked a lot about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, how we're saved and transformed. The Bible tells us that God loves you. God created everything, loved you so much, even while you were a sinner, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. The Bible also tells us that sin separates us from God, and what we deserve as a result of sin is death. That's the wages of sin. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ came, and he paid the price for your sin and for mine. He died on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again on the third day. And now Jesus offers salvation. He's asking a question, will you receive this salvation? If you're here today and there's never been a time in your life you've trusted in Christ, but you want to do that, you can pray a prayer very similar to this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Savior. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want to follow you. I want to trust in you. I want to live for you. If that's your desire today and you prayed that prayer, we'd love to connect with you and let you know what it means to have a relationship with God and follow Jesus. Text the word RESPOND. Right now, text the word RESPOND to 478-324-5402. I've heard from many people, even during this time of social distancing and quarantine, many of you are interested in being a part of our church. You want to join our second family. We're in the process of working on a Second Life Zoom call. So you can go through Second Life via video, socially distant. Pastor Matthew is going to work hard to get that together. And if you're interested in being a part of that Zoom call, you can text RESPOND to 478-324-5402 and let us know you'd like to be a part 
of our second family. Maybe today you need prayer. You've got more questions about what it means to follow Jesus. or You want more information about our church. You text the word respond to that number on your screen.